Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. I don't like it when people take Bible verses out of context and slap them on coffee mugs or put them onto bumper stickers. And Philippians is the book of the Bible that has the most of these bumper sticker verses that get taken out of context. Think about all the verses that come from Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. Rejoice. Some of you are thinking about your bumper stickers right now, aren't you? Everybody's going to get up and walk out and start flipping their vehicles around. Rejoice in the Lord always. How about this one? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many little kids did that with their Superman cape on? You know, just, I can do all things. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Philippians is packed full of these verses, and we're going to look at just one of them today. After living as a quadriplegic for 45 years, Johnny Erickson Tata reflected on the diving accident that changed her life. She was actually just 14 years old when she became a Christian, when Christ became her Savior. In her words, she confused the abundant Christian life with the American dream. And they're not the same, are they? Johnny said she had plans for her life, looking forward. She said, I was a Christian. I would go on to get good grades, get voted captain of the hockey team. I would go off to college, marry a wonderful man who made $250,000 a year, and we'd have those 2.5 kids. But it was me focused. What can God do for me? She said, I almost thought I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus. But she knew some of the things she was doing with her boyfriend did not match her identity in Christ. She knew her sin. And it was April of 1967. She had come home from a Friday night date night with her boyfriend that most certainly did not honor Christ. And she was struggling with this in her faith. And she cried out to God. She said, oh God, I'm staining your reputation by saying that I'm a Christian, yet doing one thing Friday night and another thing on Sunday morning. I'm a hypocrite and I want you to change my life. Please do something in my life that will jerk it right side up because I'm making a mess of the Christian faith in my life, and I don't want that. She prayed this, I want to glorify you. Then I had the diving accident, she said, about three months later. Immediately after the accident, Johnny told God, maybe you've prayed something like this, she told God, you'll never be trusted with another one of my prayers. But after she wrestled with her own emotions, her anger, and her pain, Johnny said, I prayed one short prayer that changed my life. Listen to what she prayed. Oh God, if I can't die, show me how to live. That was probably the most powerful prayer I had ever prayed. 
God, show me how to live. I think we need to start there as Christians. Show us how to live. And I believe that Paul answered this question in our text for this morning. Join me, if you would, in Philippians chapter 1, where you remember from last week that Paul is in prison, under arrest, in Rome, facing trial, knowing that he could be executed for his faith in Christ. So he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, and he tells them, this is what I believe, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Not just a bumper sticker not just a coffee mug. A man facing his own possible execution. Wrap your head around what he is saying. Emperor Nero was the guy Paul would be facing. This is the guy who would go on to torture the Christians for his own entertainment, making Christians wear the hide of animals so they could be torn to death by wild dogs, crucifying Christians, lighting them on fire in the gardens at night. Nero was a cruel and depraved man. And yet knowing Paul would have to stand before him, he could still write these words in our text, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We start in verse 19, where Paul begins by saying, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to this text, it's tempting. It's very almost too easy to look at this and say, well, Paul was confident he would be released from prison, that that was what he was talking about. And we are going to see that a little bit later on, that Paul did have this hope that God would deliver him from the chains of the Roman Empire. But the context tells us that this is not what Paul is talking about here. The word for deliverance can certainly be translated as it is. It means to rescue. It refers to salvation, which is why the King James translates it this way. Salvation is normally how this word is used all throughout the Bible. And everything that follows in verse 20 and verse 21 is not about Paul being rescued from a prison cell. It's about when God completes the salvation that God had already started in Paul. Go back to verse 6 in the text with me. One of the most important verses that you can memorize in this entire book. What did Paul say? He said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a work, a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, the subject is God finishing his work in his people. God finishing his work in the life of Paul. And Paul is just saying everything he had gone through in prison, everything he had gone through which had furthered the work, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ going out into the Roman Empire, this was God completing the good work that God had started in Paul. So how would God do this? That's the question. How would God do this in Paul? How would God complete the work that Paul was living out? Through their prayers and through the Spirit of God. Paul was saying this, I know I can count on your prayers, and I know I can count on the work of the Spirit of God in my life. How do we live in Christ? We depend on prayer, and we depend on God. When we face trouble, we can rest in knowing the love of the saints, that they are interceding for us. See, this gives us confidence when we know other Christians are sitting there praying for us. This gives us confidence and pushes us forward to maturity. 
We need to be praying for one another, praying that each of us will grow in Christ. That's what our prayer life should look like every day of the week. Paul is telling the Christians at Philippi, your prayers are helping me and the Holy Spirit is helping me. There are points in your life as a Christian where this may be all that you have left to sustain you. Paul is sitting there chained to a Roman soldier, awaiting a trial. Any pride that he had as a man was long, long gone. He had nothing left at this point. The suffering he had faced had forced him to look at his life, and Paul knew the trial he faced could mean his own execution. And so now he's looking at his life, knowing that the time was coming when he would stand before the Savior at the judgment seat of Christ. And he says this, I'm being delivered. I'm being saved. I'm being rescued. Not by a group of Christians busting him out of prison. Not by a big gang of Christians coming in and trying to figure out how they can be all James Bond and get him out of prison. But by prayer. He's being delivered by prayer and by the Holy Spirit of God. See, Paul could be calm in the storm of life because he knew the prayers of the saints for him and he knew the calm assurance of the Spirit of God in him. Knowing that God is present in your life when you go through those tough times and knowing that no matter how bad things look, God is still powerful. Paul didn't know if he would escape Nero. He didn't know if the shackles would ever come off of him literally before his own death, but he considered himself what? Delivered. Paul had been set free in Christ because Paul felt confident and hopeful that when the end of his life did come, he didn't have to feel ashamed before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul was expecting to bring honor to Jesus Christ, even if he died. Tell me this. Tell me, how does he find the strength to pull that off? How does he find the strength to not give in to the pressure to deny Jesus Christ? How can he continue to exalt the name of Christ even when living under very intense, difficult circumstances? How do you do that? It goes back to verse 19. It's all connected. It goes back to verse 19. It's through their prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Listen closely. The grammar of the Greek sentence links their prayer with the help of the Holy Spirit. They are seen as one unit, one concept, meaning this. As God's people pray, God uses his spirit to strengthen his people with an endless supply, the Greek tells us, an endless supply of the spirit of God. Prayer and the work of the spirit go hand in hand. See, Paul knew he couldn't face Nero on his own. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. And we need to figure this out as Christians if we want to be able to stand before Jesus Christ unashamed. You see, every person here is going to go through some very, very difficult times in life. But these verses should change your thinking. 
Missionary David Livingstone, he figured this out. You remember that he was the pioneer missionary in the 1800s to Africa who walked over 29,000 miles. That's a lot of walking in one career. 29,000 miles throughout Africa just to preach Christ. His wife died early in their ministry together. He faced some tough opposition from the Scottish church. He ministered half blind, but his perseverance, it continued on and on and on. And these were the words that were written in his diary as a prayer to God. Listen to what he wrote down. He said, God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. And sever me from any tie but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. That's pretty awesome. You see, to live as Christ, it means to stand strong in the faith. Stand firm. Keep standing as a testimony of faith for Jesus Christ. No matter what the world says, we stand for Jesus. Not by our own strength. We can't do it on our own. There's no one in this room that can do it on their own. But by the power of God in us. This is why, as a church, we need to get to know one another in the church. You need to invest your life and the life of others in the church. So that when a storm hits you in your own life, you can turn to people that you already know, that you already love, and that you already trust in the body of Christ, and then ask for prayer. God works in this, Paul says. Paul says, I have earnest expectation. And the word picture is kind of funny in the Greek. It's of a person kind of straining their neck to see what is ahead. Paul is telling us in verse 20, I have every expectation. I have every hope that when I stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, that I won't have to be ashamed. Paul still had to stand before Nero. Man, I can't imagine what that was like. He had to stand before Nero. Nero was so arrogant, he thought of himself as a god, literally as a god. Paul still had to go through a Roman trial. He needed courage. He couldn't do it without the sustaining grace of God. But Paul was not worried about his own humiliation. He wanted courage to present the gospel in front of the most powerful, powerful man in the world. But no matter how it turned out, he wanted to be able to say that Christ was magnified, glorified, whether by life or by death. Now, the word for magnified, notice it there in the text. It simply means to make something bigger, greater. Because why? Our view of God is too small. See, God is the creator of the universe. If you've ever watched some of those creation videos, you see how how vast our creation is, how big our creation is. And God just simply spoke that into existence. And yet somehow, when we struggle, when we face a problem, we don't think that he's big enough to handle our problems here and now. Paul is saying, I want to be a tool. I want to be a magnifying glass. I want to be a tool that magnifies Jesus Christ so that other people can see how big our God is. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's beautiful. Paul wanted people to see God's glory and God's grace through his life. 
Here is how Paul saw his situation. He understood that how we live before Christ, it's not determined by what happens to us here. It's not determined by our circumstances. It's not determined by everything that goes on all around us. How we live for Christ is determined by how much we renew our mind with the Word of God and how much we walk with God and let Christ live His life through us. The closer you get to the end of your own life, you begin to realize how important these words are. The closer you get to the end of your life, the more important you realize that the only thing that you can leave behind as a Christian is a lasting testimony for Jesus Christ. Even under arrest for the gospel, chained to a Roman soldier, Paul was determined to live a life that honors God. Christ be magnified in my life. Boy, that's the heart of an apostle of Christ, isn't it? He had so committed himself to the sovereign will of God in his life that he said, it makes absolutely no difference to me as long as God is glorified. We live in a day when men get into the ministry because of their pride or their need for attention or their need for a job. But Paul is saying, not me, not at the end of it all. I serve Jesus Christ because the love of God compels me to, whether by life or by death, Christ be glorified. Paul could say, the sufferings I've gone through have let me see that Jesus Christ is the one thing worth living for in life. Paul lost all his earthly freedom, but he still had his freedom in Christ. You are going to face your own trial at some point in your own life. But the question is, what do you do when you lose all of your money? Is Christ still first in your life? What do you do when your health begins to fail? Is Jesus Christ still first in your life? If you lose your job, if you lose your family, is Christ first? Or is your faith dependent on God giving you exactly what you want? Is Christ first? I know what it's like. I'm not preaching up here from a glass house. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to lose $125,000 on a home. Done that. I know what it's like to lose my health. Done that. I know what it's like to lose friends and family. I have walked those difficult days, and so have many of you. But Paul is saying to the church, God has brought these tough, tough, difficult circumstances into my life in order for me to see what my life is devoted to. And he testifies, I'm confident that I have put Christ first. That's the goal. And then verse 21, now in context, one of the most important verses in the entire letter where he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, the Greek stresses the idea that Paul's faith is unshaken. You see, if Paul was released, it would allow him to continue to preach Christ. And this is what happened historically. Paul was released only to be arrested two or three years later. But he says here, if I am set free, I preach Christ. 
If I'm killed for the faith, this will also advance the cause of Christ. Remember what he said back when we were studying Galatians. He said in Galatians 2.20, says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Tell me this morning, what are you living for? If you're going to be honest before God, how would you answer this question? How would you fill in the blank? For me to live is what? And to die is what? See, many would answer this way. For me to live is money, or me to live is things I can buy, and to die is to just leave it all behind to someone else. Or for me to live is fame, and to die is be forgotten. For me is to live for power or control, and to die is to lose it all. You see, if you live your life for anything else but Jesus Christ, you have nothing to look forward to, and your life is going to be miserable. But if you live for Christ, death simply means more of Christ. When we know who we are in Christ, when we know why we are here and where we're going, it gives us this confidence to live for Christ, to face life. Let me take you back a few years to the year 2002 when this man, Dr. Paul Brand, he was moving into a retirement home and he was asked to speak at its dedication. Listen closely to what he said. Most people know Dr. Brand because of his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, but on that day he said something that stirred my soul when I first heard about it. Listen to what he said. He said, quote, I remember well when I was at my physical peak. I was 27 years old and had just finished medical school. A group of friends and I were mountain climbing, and we would climb for hours. For some people, when they cross that peak, their life is over. Then he said, I remember well my mental peak. I was 57 years of age and was performing groundbreaking hand surgery. All of my medical training was coming together in one place. For some people, when they cross that peak, for them life is over. And then he said next, I'm now over 80 years of age. I recently realized I'm approaching another peak in my life, my spiritual peak. All I have sought to become as a person has the opportunity to come together in wisdom and maturity and kindness, love, joy, and peace. I realize that when I cross that peak, for me, life will not be over. It will have just begun. Your life is not over when you reach your physical peak. And your life is not over when you reach your mental peak. Your life is not over even when you reach your spiritual peak at the end of your life. It's just the beginning of a glorious, glorious future in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you make your life about Christ, then death is simply gain. A step forward, if you will, because it simply gets more of Christ as we go forward. It means more and more of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, your view of life and death should be radically different than the lost person. 
Some Christians are so afraid to let go of life that they become slaves to their own fear of death. But if you don't fear death, if you don't see it the way the lost people do, it actually, it, it liberates you. It sets you free to see death as an eternal doorway to life with Christ. It liberates you to be free to live with a purpose, with a meaning to life. Because Paul was ready to die, it means that Paul was ready to live. He belonged to Christ and was confident of his eternal destination so he could donate his life here on earth to living for Christ. You see, until you're at peace with God and ready to face your own death, you're never going to be ready to live. When we know who we are in Christ, when we know why we're here and where we're going, it gives us confidence to face life. And that's what Paul is wrestling with here in his own life as he gets ready to stand before Caesar. He's not sure. He's actually not sure what he wants. You see, part of him at this point is okay with the thought of Caesar having him put to death so that he could be with Jesus Christ. It's not that he wanted to die. It's not that he had a death wish, that he wanted to die to escape suffering, but to be with Christ, do you hear the thought? It's a pleasant thought, isn't it? No more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. But another part of him wants Caesar to order his release so he can continue to serve Christ. Pick it up again with verse 22. Paul says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. When Paul talked about his choice here, it really just means his preference. He's talking about his preference. Paul thought at this point that Nero might set him free. And if Paul was allowed to live, it didn't mean an easy road for him. It didn't mean he was just going to go home and have a nice life. He would continue to serve Christ. He would continue to serve the body of Christ. Paul saw life as a gift to be used to serve Christ. There are people who have learned this. Fanny Crosby comes to mind. She was the author of over 8,000 songs. You remember her story. At age six weeks, the doctor used the wrong medicine on her eyes. And because of this, she became totally and permanently blind. She was asked at one point if she was bitter towards this doctor, but she was not bitter. She even said this, if I could meet him now, I would say thank you over and over and over again for making me blind. Why could she say that? How could she say that? She said because she felt that her blindness was a gift from God to help her write the hymns that flowed from her pen. You can actually look at her songs and see the joy in them, can't you? You can see the happiness, the joy in those songs, and it's there because she kept her heart focused on God. She looked up toward God rather than looking around at her problems, knowing that every minute is another minute of life given to serve Him. And I think this is how Paul felt. Paul saw life as a gift to be used to serve Jesus Christ. But he says in verse 23, I'd rather go. I'd rather depart. I'd rather be in glory in heaven. That's the word he uses to describe death. He says, depart. 
You see, sailors would talk about it this way. Sailors would use this word to describe a, a ship being set free. Soldiers used it to describe taking down their tents so they could pack up and move on. Guards used it to describe releasing a prisoner from their chains. And so this is how Paul uses it here to describe death for the believer. It's the taking down of your earthly tent so you can pack up and go home. Paul lived so much for Jesus Christ that he looked forward to being with his Savior forever. Death was not a loss for Paul. He said it was far better than staying here. In the Greek, it actually says something stronger than just this. It says far, far better to depart. To be with Christ was far better for Paul. Why? Because it was far better than being stoned, being beaten, being left for dead, put in chains or in a dungeon. Paul was certain of his future after death, and Paul knew, Paul knew that he would go to live forever with Christ. Evangelist D.L. Moody, he used to say that one day you'll read that Moody is dead. Don't believe it for a moment, because I will be more alive than ever before. That's the type of faith that Paul had. Now, how did Paul have such strong faith? I think Paul had such strong faith because he had seen heaven. Let's remember, talking about himself in the third person. Do you remember what he said to the church in Corinth? In 2 Corinthians 12, he said this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And then just a little bit later on, he said he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. See, Paul didn't know if it was a vision or if God had physically transported him to heaven, but Paul had already seen it. Paul had already seen the presence of God. Paul had already been in the presence of God. Paul had already seen paradise. And so as Paul sits there under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier 20 years after he'd seen heaven, he's thinking back about that experience. Because it was so real to him. It was beyond anything he'd ever experienced on earth. Paul knew he had seen paradise, and he looked forward to that day when Christ would call him home. He looked forward to his departure, but Paul saw the need here, and so he says in our last two verses, starting in verse 25, he says, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul was pretty certain that the trial would end with his release. And this is what history actually goes on to tell us. Paul was in prison for two or three years in Rome before he was released in 62 AD. But he had been under arrest for five years. I want you to stop and think about this. This had taken him from the heart of Israel to the heart of the Roman Empire. The whole thing started when he simply preached the gospel of Christ. Those that opposed him demanded his head. As a Roman citizen, what did he do? He appealed to Caesar to prove that he'd done nothing wrong in preaching the word of God, much like appealing to the Supreme Court of our day. But it took five years to work through the process. Five years of freedom in his life lost because Paul was willing to stand up for his right to share the gospel of Christ. And what is Paul going to do when he gets out? He says, I'll be back with the church at Philippi again. And the first part of this, it's a pledge. He says, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress in joy of faith. 
Paul wanted to be a part of their growth as their Christians continued to walk with Christ. Paul had stood in heaven, but he saw the need of the Christians as more important than his own desire to return to heaven with Christ. Paul wanted to see the joy that would come when he was allowed to return to the Christians that he loved. Paul wanted to be the witness of what God can do when a man trusts God. Carl Lundquist, he was the president of Bethel College and Seminary in Minneapolis. In 1988, the doctors told him he had a rare form of cancer called mycosis fungoides, and it would eventually end his life three years later. But here's the letter that he wrote the day that he heard the news of his cancer. Listen closely. He says, that day in the hospital room, I picked up my Bible when the doctor had left. I turned to the joy verses of Philippians, thinking that one might stand out. But what leaped from the pages was Paul's testimony in chapter 1, where I read the words, according to my earnest expectation, hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ." And to die is gain. So Carl continued, he said, I discovered a verse that I had lived by in good health was also a verse that I could live by in bad health. To live, Christ. To die, gain. But by life or death, it's all right either way, isn't it? It's all right either way. So I simply trust that God in his own way will carry out his will for me, which I alone know is good and acceptable and perfect by life or by death. I think Carl had it right. I think Paul had it right. You know, Philippians 121, I'm probably going to use it at your funeral if I outlive you, but you don't have to wait until then to live out the truth. I offer it today as a passage to live by because it frees you to live your life, doesn't it? It frees you up to live your life no matter the threat here and now to your life. It's a creed that gives us purpose for living. No matter your age, no matter your stage of life, no matter how old or how young, these are words to live by. To live is Christ, to die is gain until our Savior comes back again. And for this, we of all people can truly be thankful. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.